Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. Johnny's going to join us later, but today on the show, well, it's Charles Soule, isn't it? And we're super lucky enough today because Melissa got to sit down, have this amazing conversation with Charles, and they go over his career, how he writes. Uh, he's got a graphic novel out called Hawaiian Dick, and if you don't know, Charles Soule is a very prolific author. He's done a lot of stuff for Marvel, like The Death of Wolverine and Daredevil and She-Hulk, among others. And this promises to be a really fun interview. And I really think you should sit back, relax, and listen to Charles Soule in his own words. This is Spoiler Country, and I'm Melissa Sercha. Today, I'm excited to welcome comic book writer and co-creator of the new series, Miles to Go, the super talented B. Claymore. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Melissa. Thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I'm all right, thanks. I'm in Kansas City and watching Snowfall. But- it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's like hot every on the West Coast where I'm here in California, and it's just 70 degrees right now, which is so bizarre for October. Yeah. No, it'll, it'll, I'm sure it'll, it'll be like, actually, it's going to be kind of nice for Halloween. So it'll be like in the sixties. So you never, okay. you never know in, in the Midwest what the weather's going to do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad to have you on today. We're going to chat a lot about your, your new comic, but I would first love to know how you got started in comics. Well, <laughs> so I grew up like a lot of people, I grew up reading comics and I guess as a kid, I thought about making them. I was an like a lot of writers, I was kind of a frustrated artist. I did a comic strip in college and had vague ideas about doing that. I was a journalism major and I got out of school when the economy was a nightmare in the 90s and <laughs> ended up in sales. And he mainly doing like last year or something. It's like all ages kind of kids stuff. But time he was starting to break into the end a little bit. And literally one day, just when I was kind of complaining about selling he literally just said, well, why don't you, you know, like just do it. And uh, he looked at a uh, slave labor graphic. He, well, he was a, he got an approval for this book that was called Love and Time. It was going to be an anthem of these that combined romance and superheroes. Right. And anyway, long story short, long story short, I, he asked uh, if I wanted to, I think initially he might've even asked me if I wanted to draw, but I was not that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> okay. And I, anyway, 
I ended up editing, co-editing the book with him. And because we used a whole variety of sort of independent talent, writers and artists, I got to know a lot of people. I got to see how things were put together. This was right around 2000. And so it was like t- technology was transforming around then. And I don't know, I, f- I just figured out the nuts and bolts and started going to more cons as a creator. And, and then Jay had a book approved at Image. And like shortly after that, I decided that I was going to do my own thing, which became Hawaiian Dick, which mm-hmm. uh, artist Stephen Griffin and I put together, put together a, a pitch with the intention of pitching it really to some small black and white publishers. And kind of on a whim, I handed it off to Jim Valentino when he was the publisher at Image. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen had done like we were we had no intention of doing a color book, but one of the publishers was doing these online color comic strips. So we did some comic strips in color. And anyway, Jim hated having pitches handed to him at conventions. And <laughs> but Eric Stevenson at the time, who he's now the publisher, and, and he said they've made him a partner. But at the time, he he was the sales and marketing coordinator. And for whatever reason, he really loved the book. This yeah. was about 2002, 2003. And I mean, like a week later, he you know emailed me. And so we ended up doing an image, which was kind of a step above where we thought we'd, we'd do it. Long story short, the book came out. Initially, really well received, good reviews. Right. Stephen mm-hmm. ended up with multiple Eisner nominations for best colorist, and yeah. so we did. We did two initial series of that book. Had all kinds of problems with delays, and, and from there, I ended up. Jeremy Hahn and I then did a book called Battle Him and Image, and then publishers started, you know, asking me to do stuff. The first work for hire I ever did was actually a Vampirella miniseries years ago. Oh um, wow! But it was. Okay. The- it was the anime version of Vampirella, Vampy. Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's just, and it all kinds of feeds. Yeah. Feeds everything else. From there, I went to DC and then uh, bounced around. And, and, then, and then at one point, for, for I was actually the PR and marketing coordinator for Image. Right. Once yeah, Eric, I saw that. Once Eric Larson became the publisher. And it wasn't, it, it was too hard to make it work because I was still in Kansas City and they had moved to Berkeley, but it was still a, a huge learning experience. And, you know, even over 10 years later, you know, I still have relationships with a lot of the retailers and mm-hmm. you know, pe- people that I dealt with there. So, and, and of course the creators and everything. So, yeah. And then from there, I just, you know, I mean, I, I my career has not been, I haven't piled up work at one publisher. Mm-hmm. I, I have bounced around a lot, worked for image, worked for Marvel, worked for DC, worked for yeah. Oni, worked for Aftershock, you know, Valiant, on and on and on. So, yeah. And well, uh, yeah, this is yeah. the first aftershock. That's awesome. Well, I know uh, I was reading up on Hawaiian Dick and I know it's been, like you were saying, very successful. And it was, you know, named one of the top 100 graphic novels by Wizard Magazine. And mm-hmm. is that series still going or are you planning to return to it? Yeah. The, so, so it, we did the first series and the third issue of the first series was, was very late mm-hmm. um, with some personal, some, some issues with, Stephen, it doesn't matter why. <laughs> so then the second series ran into all kinds of trouble, same issues. The third series was drawn by uh, an artist named Scott Chandler. Stephen colored it. The fourth series was solicited with an artist named Jacob Wyatt. And then it took five years to get it out the door. Wow. We got all five issues shipped at the same time. Well, then, then we ran a Kickstarter that had way too many moving pieces. And that book is way mm-hmm. late too. So with Hawaiian Dick, my, my, what I'm doing right now is, is wrapping up this long overdue Kickstarter to the point where like I had a publisher recently ask me about doing a new Hawaiian Dick series that wasn't image. I'm like oh, paying cool. to do it. And, and I was like, I said, I, I, 
I'd love to do it, but I, I really have to get this book done and out into mm-hmm. people's hands and then I'm going to reset. So, so we're going to do that, get that out probably in the spring. And then I do have plans initially because it's been such, people love the book and it's been well-received, but because of all the issues we've had to sort through and it, it, mm-hmm. it the point where I was kind of like, I'm just going to get this done and then kind of focus on the other stuff I'm doing. Yeah. But, that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I it's still kind of like the first, you know, it's my kind of my baby. And mm-hmm. so I am, I am kind of making plans to launch a new series that would be friendly for new readers as well as longtime readers. And that wouldn't be probably for another year or at least. So I, I do think I'll get back to it. I just need to kind of get all my ducks in a row and everything taken care of first. Right. Um, and it was optioned, wasn't it, for by, by a network for television? Is, is that any close to happening at this point? Well, actually, it was initially optioned by New Line Cinema way back when uh, mm-hmm. as a film. And then it was initially had a Johnny Knoxville attached to it. There was this brief moment in the mid-2000s where the studios were convinced that he was going to turn into... <laughs> yeah, well, I actually, had a, I actually had a studio, a guy tell me a producer or an exec say, you know, we think that he could be the next Jack Nicholson. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I wasn't going to go there. But, uh, you know, if they were going to buy the option, sure. <laughs> so right. anyway, it was it was option. The option was renewed. So it was like over two years that it was kind of in development, a new line. And then the studio kind of fell apart around it. We pulled back. We sat on it. Then a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, we optioned it to NBC to develop Mm -hmm. into a TV series. And then we spent a while, I mean, and the people that were involved in it at that point were phenomenal. I mean, like just amazing creative people. And we, we took it out and and they, they pitched it um, to every streaming service. And it, 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 it was kind of the thing where it got a lot of positive response everywhere, but it, it it didn't happen right then. Mm -hmm. So, so kind of, again, we, I kind of just pulled it back in and, and actually, lately, I have been talking to some people who were involved a while ago with it about, exp- with, at this point with Hawaiian Dick, I, I've got other things that I'm really focused on in terms of outside media, um, right. film and TV, other projects that that are sort of way more in play right now and, and taking, taking uh, yeah, yeah, more yeah, of a front seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're likely to happen. So with Hawaiian Dick, it's, it's turned into this kind of thing where people that have involved in it, I, I have no problem if something happens, you know, and-, and right. So, so it's out there and it's actually, you know, people are kind of messing with it a little bit, but, but for me, it's, if something does happen at this point, it's gravy. Yeah, Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. That's cool. Well, yeah, it'll, if it happens, it'll happen, you know, organically and you'll be ready for it. (laughs) At this point I'm fine. I mean, that's totally my attitude. It's not a live or die thing. So. Nice. So when you are, when you get an idea for a story, what, Mm -hmm. Do you, what tends to come first for you? Are you developing characters right away or are you world building first? That's a good question. Well, I, for a long time, I kind of got side. So I, when I, when I broke in with Hawaiian days like Battle M and Jeremy Hahn and I did a book called The Leading Man at Oni and mm-hmm. book, I, I did a whole bunch of creator owned books that, that were completely, you know, that were created from scratch by myself and a collaborator so we had a lot of control and could build the way we wanted to. Well, I, yeah. I kind of got sidetracked for a while after I did some stuff for DC. I did some things I create, like Tony Harrison, I created a character that we brought to DC called the Whistling Skull. But then we added some DC characters and it became, I don't want to say compromised, but it wasn't really, you know, my vision, so to speak. Right. And then at, at Valiant the past few years, I've created from scratch a book called Savage. And then... 
took elements that existed at Valiant and created a book that was called Killers. Mm-hmm. So like I'm still creating things, but there's a lot of editorial oversight and I'm always fully aware that I don't own the material. So I, about a year ago, I kind of stepped back and decided that I needed to refocus on my own original concepts with collaboration okay. and fully create our own, which is what Miles to Go is. So I have been more focused on that. And what, what does normally happen there is like the key to any... First of all, the key to getting somebody to publish your comic is that you have just a hook that makes, you know, a mm-hmm. hook that grabs people, just like a film. So generally, I guess I, w- I'll, I will, I love world building. Like for me, yeah. I mean, it sounds obvious, but I think some people miss, miss the point when they're creating something is that if you, it doesn't matter what the world looks like or what rules are in play, mm-hmm. as long as they're consistent and mm-hmm. people, people believe the crazy stuff you've created. Yeah. So you know, I usually have like an environment or an era that comes to mind. And then the character, I'll, st- I'll kind of separately really work on building a unique, interesting protagonist, antagonist. Lately, I want every character that appears in a book to be fully flat. I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, a henchman who mm-hmm. shows up for one page and gets shot. I want a unique design, a unique mm-hmm. just- even if they just drop in, you get the feeling that you're seeing the tip of an iceberg, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, each character should have their own voice, their own motivation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and miles to go, yeah, Stephen Molnar is the artist. And and I mean, thank God he's, he is full. He loves drawing like character moments and acting and That's he'd cool. be fine drawing people just sitting around talking, but he's also great at action. Yeah. But this book has really sort of become more and more involved with more and more characters and kind of smaller subplots spinning around. And, and, and I really, the first two, two issues are out and I, I really think it's been very well received, but, but reading through it, I'm really happy with the way that we'll introduce a character for a page. And I think you get a really good sense of who that character is through okay. the combination of dialogue and what Steven manages to do, because there's nothing worse than, you know, stock characters in a comic mm-hmm. book just, they don't, if they don't impact the, you know, if they don't have an impact for the reader, then it's hard to believe they'd have an impact in the story. Right. Yeah. You don't want just filler people and filler things. Yeah. Well, with Miles to Go, so it's with Aftershock Comics Mm -hmm. and you you said you have two issues available. I noticed there's a third one available for Mm pre-order. For those who aren't familiar with it, tell us a little bit about what what it's about. Well, (laughs) it's, so it's kind of a combination of a couple different concepts that I've had floating around in my head for a while. It, it, it originated, the artist is a guy, Stephen Molnar, who I've known for years. He, he did some Star Trek comics. And then not too long ago, he did a Vertigo book with Tim Seeley called Imaginary Fiends. And mm-hmm. he just, he dropped me a line and asked if I'd be interested in trying to put a pitch to, you know, create something out of scratch. And I, th- I think initially he, he even mentioned like trying to pitch it to DC. Oh, wow. Cool. And I said, well, I'd love to do something, but I don't, but I'd rather do it at somewhere where we're going to have more, where we're not trying to tick off boxes. That the, mm-hmm. It's hard to explain. You know, some of the bigger publishers, they just, things won't get approved based on not the material itself, but you know, it's just, this, yeah. some of the reasons that books don't get approved just are hard to figure out. So it's, it's hard to publish. It's hard to pitch to those guys, not knowing whether just like the basic concept, even if it's great, like mm. the, the setting or the the genre, you know, they just don't want that. Okay. But a place like Aftershock or, you know, if we went to Image or somewhere like that, they're open to a broader range of 
genres. It's more about the execution and, you know, and, and, and the, the unique spin you put on it. So, so the story is about a single mother who is in her mid thirties. She has a daughter who is edging towards puberty, recently divorced or at least separated. Mm-hmm. And we, it's not a spoiler. We realize before we meet her that when she was a child, she was like the sidekick to an assassin, but also very active in, in, well, killing people. (laughs) So (laughs) um, when we meet her on page two, she's, she's basically shooting a a guy tied to a chair in the face and blowing a bubble. So for me, I thought, well, that's in a lot of like that in itself is a story, but it's, it's also kind of a trope. There's, you know, I mean, all the way back to kid sidekicks to superheroes or mm-hmm. beyond the professional, whatever there's the professional. That. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so for me, it's more like, okay, let's use that kind of sort of familiar, but still a little shocking element to build a story beyond that. Mm-hmm. So it's more like, okay, well, what if she was that kid, but she hasn't been involved in that scene since she was, you know, 13, Yeah. but 20 years later, she has never been able to do anything as well as she did shooting people in the face. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was her um, one, her gift. <laughs> exactly. Well, but, the, but that's part of the story is that there's a reason for that. Okay. So, so the story is kind of about her being thrown back into that element, but not knowing why. Okay. And then her, her mentor, when she was a child is when we meet him, he's, he's in a nursing home and he's terminally ill mm. and she clearly still has a connection with him and maybe with nobody else. And then from there, without giving too much away from there, she ends up sort of partnering up with one of his old colleagues, who's also like an aging former assassin. And they form this sort of, sort of highly dysfunctional fake family unit as they try (laughs) to figure out, are these, are these people coming after the assassins? Are they coming after uh, her name is Amara Bishop and her daughter is Aaliyah. Are they coming after Amara and Aaliyah? Are they, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so they kind of initially, they just sort of hit the road and then uh, Amara, and then they kind of try to get their bearings just to figure out what's going on. And so the story follows, it follows them and their closest family members and friends of which there aren't a lot. And in a weird way, it's, I mean, we're dealing with genre comics. So mm-hmm. the, the hook has to be great. The, the action has to be great. The, the genre has to be at the forefront. But at the same time, I really wanted to try to kind of explore ideas about familial, familial relationships and uh, the things people do to the people they love and how they respond to it. And then just, just also throw a lot of guns and murder. (laughs) So I, it seems so far, I mean, it's been extremely well received. It, It seems like that's working. I mean, it seems like people are invested in the characters as much as they are the the plot, you know, the action mm-hmm. plot and so what have you. So, and that third issue is, goes very deep into the older assassin's name is Moses. Okay. It, it, goes, it goes very deep into his backstory and how a relationship he had when he was younger is impacting things that are happening now. And it's, it's probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. And Stephen, Stephen, it's kind of dense in terms of interaction and, and relationships and stuff. And then of course there's the requisite action, but, but Steven, even like he sent me a separate email, just sort of thanking. He was like, this reads like a book you wrote specifically for me to draw, Yeah, which is great because I wrote it hoping that would be his response, but also it's very personal for me. And so for him to feel the same way about it, I just don't, you know, there's no way it can't, can't work in my opinion. So I'm, I'm very, very happy about it. Yeah. No, it sounds like you too 
worked really well together and had good creative chemistry, which is super important. I saw a little bit of the artwork um, in the the preview and it's, it's really got a cool feel to it. It's, it's very uh, visceral and it's obviously drawn really, really well, but yeah, it just, it has almost a, an apocalyptic sort of wasteland vibe to it as well. Was that yeah. something you were kind of trying well, to incorporate? Well, so, so, so Stephen, throughout his career and as long as I've known him, has always had a really tight, slick style. And it's great. I mean, it worked really well. But when, when we started this book, I kind of encouraged him to loosen up a little bit, you know, be mm-hmm. a little more rushy for lack, you know, lack of a better term, a little, just a little more free. My opinion, very often artists, I think, I think through evolution, a lot, some artists start, you know, they're worried about drawing everything perfectly and, and they, they can get really hung up on how perfect the line is and how slick everything is. But sometimes when really talented artists just kind of loosen up and do things with a little more flow and a little more feel and sort of move on from a panel that they might've overworked before, mm-hmm. it creates more of that kinetic expressive feeling. And when we were putting the pitch together, he, he did some, some stuff with brush and ink that was just so I mean, it was just fantastic and so expressive, cool. and and so that it's a departure from his from his normal style. But he's really taken to it, and you know. And one of the other things I did right away is is we've got a group of creators that we you know we have uh, access to, and so I, I mm-hmm. sort of showed the pages, and he's coloring the book too, and and that's his first thing he's ever colored that he's drawn. So we've we've leaned a little bit on some some of the better colorists we know but the response from the creative community the people we know to the pitch pages was was like oh, this is the best stuff you've ever done you know you should color it yourself it's so yeah i think that encouraged him to just kind of keep moving forward but yeah it's i'm super happy with with the way it, it's turned out it's a lot of work i mean he's he's penciling it inking it and coloring it yeah but but like for instance from an art art standpoint he's he's doing, he's doing like looser layouts and then going straight to ink, you know, instead of okay. really overworking pencils and then inking and everything. And, um, no, I'm just, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I th- he's, he's a little stressed because of the work involved, <laughs> but he, he's really, we're both really invested into the book. And I, and I just love how much he just wants to kind of keep telling the story of these characters. So. Yeah. Well, and when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, sometimes you come up with, you know, better quality Right. You know, you surprise yourself. And so would you say the content, the the storyline is is much more like heavier themes? I, I know you mentioned there's obviously it's an assassin book, so there's violence in it and gore here and there. But are there any, how was it to balance that with the super quiet, intimate, emotional scenes versus the shoot 'em up, you know, type right. things? Well, that's, yeah, that's actually... <clears throat> That's kind of specifically what I was trying to communicate. I was trying to communicate that when I when I pitched it, and also that's the way you put it is almost exactly what <laughs> what, I, what I've been going for. Is sort of that, yeah. It's it's moments of of character interaction. First of all, there's always going to be this underlying tension behind everything because yeah. there's you know we're aware that some weird forces are after these people, and <laughs> and, and right off the bat we realize they're they have no problem killing people or what. So so hopefully that's always. You know, there's tension inherent and everything because of that. But yeah, it's the it's the the quiet the character moments, the um, really trying to work to make those character moments feel uh, genuine and real, and mm-hmm. then it's punctuated by these sort of explosive moments of, frankly, you know, over the top uber violence, which which I you know you can do in a comic book, and uh, you know you can do uh, you can get you can take people out of the story because you're too cartoonish with it, but it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's, 
it's like a pacing thing, you know, it's like story, story, story. And then it's this boom, 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 boom. And then you're back into the story. So yeah, that's, I'm not sure it's a challenge so much as it's the third issue is kind of a challenge because there's not quite as much of that, of the, the violence. I mean, it's, it's more about the relationships, but there are flashbacks to, to, and and then there, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's pretty um, common as far as it's a good way to go about it. You know, like when you take something like, like the walking dead, for example, where they have all these episodes that are super intense all the time. And then they'll have one where it's just focused on one character's backstory. And I think the fan response, the you know, or the reader response um, is always, it's like, yeah, this is a nice kind of insight into the story. I get to kind of take a breath for a minute and and not have all this, you know, intensity in my face. And, and then I can right. gear up for the next violent, you know, battle or whatever. Well, I'll, t- I'll say this about The Walking Dead, which, yeah, I was, and I was an image when we launched The Walking Dead and when it took off and, and mm-hmm. it's, it was fun to watch. But what I like about The Walking Dead, which you know, there's no zombies or monsters in this book, but it, it's anybody who wants to think creatively or do their own stories or whatever. I hope they're watching things and figuring out how to apply things that work to whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. What, one of the things I love about The Walking Dead is that obviously it's clear by now that the real villains in the stories are the other people. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that, I mean, like the zombies are just always just this, they're always there's this obstacle that's always there as you know, while these characters are trying to get through every, you know, while they're trying to kill each other. Oh, there's also these hordes of, you know, people that are (laughs) humans, but the zombies are never the key antagonist in the story at any point. Um, Right. It's, it's not a book about people running away from zombies. It's about people trying to coexist. Yeah. uh, You know, with zombies, you know, so I, I like that element of it. And I like kind of to the point of this book, I like the fact that, this heavy shit is going on around them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't completely overshadow the human relationships that are involved. And as the series goes, we get deeper and deeper into relation because Amara is raised by a drunken father in a trailer park. That's all mm-hmm. she knows. She's a like second generation Indian American. And as far as she knows, her father was a drunken failure who was basically disowned by the family. And so she's never known mm-hmm. anything about her real identity culturally or even her mother or the family or anything. Okay. Which which comes into play as the story goes. We begin right. to understand she may not be completely right about her father. And so it's just a way to explore all these people's different identities and and you know have them kind of learn about themselves as they like as she learns some things about herself and why she is the way she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but through through that filter we also get to examine the relationship with her ex-husband and the relationship with her a mother she's never met. And, and at the key, the, the key point of it all is, is Aaliyah, her daughter, this, you know, Moses responds to Amara, but also this kid that he's sort of now protecting. And when Amara's mother does show up, it's the fact that there's a granddaughter involved that sort of changes her mm-hmm. feelings about things, you know? So connected and and yeah it's like a domino effect they're all gonna Mm -hmm. sort of affect each other with their past choices and um it's more like a it's more like a a windshield like a cracked windshield you know a spider web mm -hmm. just go on all directions yeah now do you have a lot of issues already planned or are you more of a what we call in the book industry a pantser where you just sort of write uh as you go I am 100% a pantser normally but (laughs) what I what I find what I find is that I'll do I'll have a very and of course, when you're pitching something, they publishers 
one thing I always tell people when they're trying to pitch stuff is, uh, especially when I was an image, we'd get these pitches and they would pitch to the people that were publishing the book with an open-ended question mark, you know, like <laughs> what happens, you know? And, and I used to tell them, no, you can spoil it for the publisher. They want to know that you know where the story's going. Absolutely, yeah. But they were thinking in marketing terms, no, I want to hook them. I'm like, well, yeah, but they don't want to publish something that they don't know has a, you know. So, yeah. so really, I try to get, uh, I try to have that loose framework, some very specific relationships. But for me, if I was going to plot it with a complete hardcore outline, I don't think it would breathe as well and it wouldn't lead mm-hmm. me in different directions. I, I'll tell you what, I off and on, I was trying to put a book together with someone for years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I'm not saying either way is right or wrong, but he had this need to have every everything buttoned up and sewed up and every, you know, mm-hmm. he wanted this, this concrete path. And, and for me, it was more like, well, we can find the answers to those as we go along, but let's read yeah. them organically. And, and so it, that was kind of the ultimate stumbling block. It was like, I just can't, I can't really work that way. So yeah. with this book, I've literally in, in the script of this book, like realized, like while writing the finished script, I'm like, oh wait, okay, this character, like I'm going to kill this character. Well, what if we wound this character and send him mm-hmm. off, off to the farm? And then when he comes back, he's, you know, damaged. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, has a new story to tell. Right, exactly. So I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to create with the incidental characters, the potential for them to become larger down the road. So, but yeah, in generally speaking, there is sort of a, sort of a, a roadmap for the characters mm-hmm. relationship. And, and, and also the, the first arc is the, is five issues. So, you know, we're, we're working towards a point where we can kind of conclude one beat and then open the story up after that, you know, for, for a longer run. So to keep it going. That makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. And, like, what is your ideal time frame as far as can we expect, you know, an issue once a month, once every two months? No, it's, it's, it's pretty much monthly. The third issue should be out at the end of, or at the end of November and uh, yeah, December. So the first five issues will be monthly and then there'll probably be a, a short break for the new arc, which will again, and, and, and it's, it's very common in in comics, especially what, well, I don't know, third, not Marvel or DC, you know, smaller independent creator owned comics, you'll do the arc and then take a breather or else, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm telling one story with separate arcs, but I also kind of model everything after, um, like, I love the model of British television, okay, which has these shortened seasons, like six, say six episodes yeah. that are an hour long. So you've got six six stories within the larger story. And then at the end of the sixth episode, you've got some concluding beats, but also a springboard into the next one. And then the next series shows up a year, you know, the next mm-hmm. year. I, that, I think that's kind of how I model what I do in comics. And so, so yeah, and it's very much the way I'm working on this one as well. So. Okay. Well, you know, that's pretty interesting. I like the British model too. I think you get more out of it that way. And, and you're not, you know, hooked into this, you know, 22 episodes uh, series. But yeah, so we're also also seeing that reflected. I mean, in fairness, it's, you know, HBO kind of picked that up and then streaming service done kind of the same thing. And yeah, it has been picking up everywhere else too. I've noticed that. Yeah. Well, they'll do just eight or nine episodes now, whereas, well, different networks too. Cause I know like shows on the CW network still put out like 22, 23 episodes. They'll, you know, cut their uh, season in half and do part one, part two kind of a thing. But it also, but but the thing about that is, is it changes. You know, you're 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 
your goals are completely different at that point. Um, you know, it, you're trying to make sure the series continues. And then it, with 22 episodes, you're not telling one story generally, you know, you're throwing it all over the place. Yeah. Sorry, my dog is. Oh, no problem. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and I think comics, I mean, I think old school superhero comics can follow that model where they're coming out month after month after month and there's not a drastic change. Mm-hmm. 22 issues or whatever. But um, to really get the most out of the medium with comics, I do think that sort of shorter bursts of stories is, is yeah do you do you feel any pressure uh, to put out a comic you know every month like i i'm a fantasy author and i when i sign you know a contract with my publisher it's i know i have you know at least a year so i can kind of like let it ruminate for a while but working on something where you know you have it coming out often is that cloud your creativity at all or do you ever have like a moment where you're like crap i can't you know get this out in time because it's not exactly how i want it it hasn't been a problem for me for a while just because it's been a while since I've been working on multiple books at the same time. You know, like there was a period where I was doing maybe a couple things at DC and a couple creator owned books and also trying to build something. And, you know, and I like deadlines mm-hmm. because I do tend to kind of wander off. You know, <laughs> I don't have one, but, but then I would also be aware that like, Oh, I really want to be working on this, but I have to get this done by Thursday at three o'clock to get paid in two weeks. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> so then it would be, and in fairness, most everything I write, I write in bursts. Mm-hmm. I'll write an entire issue in a day and a half or overnight and then kind of, but, but by that point, like you say, I'm sure it's, I, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but by the point that I sit down and write the concrete script, I will have been noodling around in a, in a, mm-hmm the journal and thinking it through and I'll have a pretty good idea where I want to go in my head. And also having written comics long enough, you kind of internalize that 20 page mm. model. So yeah. I, it's just, I'm not, I'm not an, like, I'm not a nuts and bolts outline, mm-hmm. you know, break it all down kind of guy. I just, which I, I kind of wish I was because, because I think it might be easier, but I'm more, <laughs> I kind of inter- internalize the rise and fall and the pacing and everything. And, and it, it, it's all, it's more by feel than some kind of formula. Um, so, so it's, it's, I can spit out an issue and just trust that. I, I mean, there have been times where I'll realize, holy you know, I did like eight pages. You got 20 pages. I'll be like, wow, I spent like five pages on this. <laughs> you know, this one <laughs> throws everything. It's like a seesaw and throws everything out of balance. So I will sometimes, you know, yeah, <laughs> I had to, I had to learn, I had to learn. And this is again, you know, this and everybody who writes, it's a cliche, but that, that mm-hmm. expression about don't be afraid to kill your darlings or kill your baby. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Where I always have to tell myself, nobody's going to miss something they never saw, you know? So, yeah. you know, so that, that helps a lot when you're, slicing yeah. oh yeah and i actually have a deleted scene folder in my computer oh. so oh, i don't you, yeah just put it in recycle. there yeah yeah because you never know if you you i just don't like throwing stuff away just just yeah. in case you could use it for something in the future or even like a new project you know if it's just like a character that you think oh it's not going to work in this series i could build right. another series around them right have you, have you ever done that yeah. taken other characters oh. oh god yeah um yeah it's funny too there's a like there's an action sequence I've had in my head for a long time. And I wrote a book for uh, a publisher for work for hire. So they, they have an editor who has actually, I think they had, they, at the time they had several people editing like committee. And I, I can't stand it when you've got committees looking over stories, mm-hmm. but so I wrote this action sequence and like, I'm not even going to talk about, I'm not going to explain what it is because <laughs> it got scrubbed from the book because they had concerns about it that were in my opinion, ridiculous. Um, okay. And, and the, Anyway, it's 
it's a scene with a woman and she's in a fight. And I have this particular moment that I, I it's like been in my head for a long time. I thought it would be a cool sort of hor- horrific action sequence that also shows the strength of the character. And without, without throwing anybody under the bus, the editor that I was dealing with, uh, <laughs> who didn't even, who only edited a couple issues, of the book gave me the finished, I think he gave me the finished art. And I was like, oh, wow. where's the, or he showed it to me. And I was like, well, the, that scene is gone. He was like, oh yeah, edit the, you know, they, they thought that it was this or that. And I'm like, well, if I give you a script with a scene in it, mm-hmm. please come back to me when they say that and e- either give me a chance to defend it or rework it. Right. You know, but, but all of a sudden, but he cut the centerpiece of this really cool action sequence out. And all of a sudden it's just a boring action scene oh, God. because it's missing this one moment. Right. So yeah, very much. So that's in my my mental folder of, all right, well, at some point I'm going to pull that back out. Yeah. <laughs> it's really just like a, a one page, you know, physically violent moment that I think would be really cool. But, but no, it, yeah. yeah, everything I'm at this point, I have had so many things I've tried to put together that didn't quite work or stuff. Maybe I did pitch in one form and I put them mm-hmm. aside. And, and yeah. I have these through multiple, well, multiple journals and multiple laptops and folders. Yeah. I will, but, dig, I will dig around to try to find a pitch from eight years ago somewhere, you know, and have to go through different hard drives and stuff to do it. And then, yeah, I'm sure it's the same for you. You'll find mm-hmm. like, uh, you'll find just a spin on it that you were missing mm-hmm. or like, yeah. I mean, I have, you know, in notebooks, paper notebooks and electronic right. notes where, you know, story ideas, character ideas that you, know, you just don't want to forget about. So you write right. them down, you, you know, that you can keep them on the back burner for future projects. Yeah. Well, with Miles to Go, it's funny because that was, that's how it, I had this loose notion of, I had two different ideas. I had this idea about, because I was thinking about the young assassin and that's specifically Leon the professional. And my initial springboard was, well, what? would happen to that girl if she grew up and had a normal life and, mm-hmm. you know, in her thirties had to go back into action or whatever. Yeah. And then separately I had this idea about an assassination network that uh, was basically like contracted by the government to do stuff called ice house. It was like a name I liked, mm-hmm. but I never, but it just never felt like either of them were complete. And so when Steven asked me about doing something, I, I threw both of those into the same mixer and then, Cool. And then Steven suggested, well, what if he showed me, he did some concept sketches and he had drawn this, you know, a character, the ethnicity of the character. She was, she was clearly mm-hmm. like Indian right. and also sh- kind of short and stocky, like built like a, he said, like an MMA fighter. I was like, well, that's interesting. And he said, I just thought, you know, be, give us a little more, more to work with. And, you know, than just another, you know, we're a couple boring white guys, you know, tired <laughs> of that. But I was like, okay. Not in any way was that what I would have pictured, but when I saw her and thought about it, it definitely added elements that broadened the story and widened the universe and everything. So, yeah. yeah. So from a couple of ideas that were half formed, it it all ended up. Yeah. And I think the way that she looks, you know, because like I said, I did see some of that, the, the illustrations. She, it's very authentic, you know, as to what an assassin, you would think an assassin would look like. Cause oftentimes as we know in the industry, they pick right. these female assassins where you're like, really just, <laughs> she's wearing high heels, but I, I like that. It's more authentic to, you know, she's, she's muscular. She's physically fit. I feel like that's what you would think an assassin would look like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. That was no, that definitely. And like I said, it it's, and again, it's another thing I try to tell people when they're trying to figure out how to get their stuff going. It's people get so locked into comics are 
by, by nature and by necessity, a collaborative medium. And, mm-hmm. and any writer who is looking for someone who to just translate their vision to the page is going to, is, I don't think they're ever going to get the best results from the artist or just from the creative process. So yeah. you've got to open yourself up to, you've got to find somebody who buys into the concept and owns it with you and allow mm-hmm. them ownership of it. Then let their ideas, I mean, if something doesn't work, you can talk about it, but, but right. really be open to things that you didn't see when you originated it. And then it just becomes a, a, a true collaboration um, mm-hmm. where you're both invested in it. And, uh, and that happened definitely with just with kind of his character designs. And, and, and a lot of the time too, I, I'll have, I'll have what I think is a great world. Like you're talking about and and, and a hook mm-hmm. or close to a hook. It's like, I know there's a hook in there, you know, yeah. I, and I, I'll just plunge forward having faith that I'll figure it out. And it all, it all, it almost always works. And it's, I mean, it's literally like an aha moment sometimes, you know, it's yep. uh, and, oh, and yeah. with, with, this, with this book, there's a, there's a twist that we don't really explore till the end of it. That kind of explains a lot of it that that's where, that's where it all, like I opened myself up to this craziest stuff and ideas. And, and when, when that kind of came to me, it was like, Oh, okay. You know, it was like, now it all, and it's okay. to the point where like, I got to send an email to people I know, you know, <laughs> Hey, this thing you don't know anything about. I just, I just figured it out. You know, <laughs> But, you know, they're, they're gracious enough to listen to me ramble. So yeah, no, I would want to see that light bulb goes off. It seems right. like the floodgates are open and then all right. of a sudden you're like, can't stop coming up with the ideas and stop writing. It's just, it comes out of you almost like in a weird spiritual way in a, in a right. sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have faith that it's going to happen. I mean, and you, what, I mean, obviously you hope that you've exposed yourself to enough influences and, you know, mm-hmm. different things that, that somewhere in the back of your mind, something will trip forward. I don't know if you, do you always work kind of in the same mm. world? And do you have a, a, no, I mean, when I first started, I was very rigid. Like you were saying about mm-hmm. some of the people, you know, where I had to outline, I couldn't start anything without a detailed outline, but you know, in the past five years, it's just changed so much. I can actually just free write and, and kind of have a general idea of what I'm writing, but no, my worlds are usually really dark. I write on the darker side, heavier themes, you know, in the paranormal urban fantasy mm-hmm. realm. So yeah, I mean, I think oh, yeah. I get like you, I get like an idea or a a sense of like what time era I want to, or, you know, genre, whether it be epic fantasy or or more urban, and then kind of just ruminate on it for a while and like, let it simmer. And and then you get that aha moment and you're like, okay, perfect. I can actually sit and write a first draft now. So yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny, Hawaiian Dick is the first thing I really pitched on my own. and, And I, it's... 50s detective with kind of leans on tiki culture, but it's not cliche. It's set in Hawaii, but it's not, I never wanted it to be cliched mm-hmm. uh, Hawaiian hula girls and stuff. And my, my thinking was the 50s were this decade where there was this dark undercurrent that was hidden by the pop culture of the day and, you know, leave it mm-hmm. to be in Pan Am flights and all this. Uh, and I thought, well, I thought Hawaii would be a good analogy for that because in the 50s, it was becoming this travel destination and it was bright and sunny, but there had to be a dark undercurrent to it. Oh, yeah. And then I decided, I think I probably decided on this just to, because I was like, well, it needs an extra element of oomph. So I added a supernatural element to it. Oh, cool. So I kind of investigated some Hawaiian myths and legends, although I used a zombie in the first book, which was not Hawaiian. And I had to kind of explain that, but, (laughs) but like kind of what I was saying about the walking dead earlier, very quickly, that became just a thing that got in the way all the time of this kind of Rockford (laughs) file style down on his luck, private investigator, as he was trying to solve crime. So I had a, 
had a longtime friend that I was I saw at a, at a party after a convention, and uh, he had just read the first series, and he he said the, the lead character's name is Bird, and he said, uh, well, "I read your book, and I said I liked it, but your lead character wasn't very proactive." <laughs> and I said, "I said, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's that's the point. It's like he <laughs> starts in one direction, and all the shit gets in the way, and then he is by the end of it, he's just trying to survive whatever mess he's gotten into, you know." But, yeah. I say that because you mentioned the kind of urban. And, and so, so, yeah, it's like it's like when I started thinking of Hawaiian Dick stuff, I'm like, oh, I've also got to throw a ghost in somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but, why not? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a, there's in one of in the second series, there's a scene where Bert is tied. I mean, this is like a do sex machina moment that I nobody really called me on. But he's tied to a chair that these mobsters have tied him to. <laughs> and a ghost appears, like a female ghost appears and tells him to be quiet and unties him. And oh. it's beautifully well-drawn scene. But it doesn't really make any sense. It's kind of, uh, so my answer to that was to have Bird not be able to figure it out either. You know, I was yeah. like, "Oh, there's a mystery here," and I'm like, "Maybe the reader will forget it by the time." Get to <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just there's no reason you don't need to have a reason. You, right. you know, yeah, you if you've created creator. a world, if you've created a world where that shit happens, then okay. yeah, then people yeah. will accept it and go, oh, "What's yeah. going to happen?" You know, in the next issue, is there going to be a you know a banshee coming out or <laughs> right. you know? <laughs> yeah, in fact, there was. So oh, cool. <laughs> Actually, that that scene actually led me to the larger conclusion, and I realized, oh, there must be spirits here for some reason. So I did get a little crazy with you know ghosts flying around and stuff. <laughs> that sounds fun. I'm gonna have to check that out then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of supernatural stuff, I do have to ask you because it's one of my favorite shows. You did some Vampire Diaries graphic oh, yeah, novels. Did. Yeah. Yes. How did you uh, How did you get uh, wrapped up in that? <laughs> well, it's interesting. So I had never. <laughs> Well, I'll just tell the truth here. I'd never seen the show. And uh, so DC had, they still kind of do, but at the time DC had a, there was a company called Wildstorm that was a part of DC on the West Coast when DC was on the East Coast. That company folded basically, and they trans transitioned it into a digital, it's kind of like their digital wing was on the West Coast. And so they started doing, they were doing digital first comics. Like I did a Batman thing and a Superman that were digital, and then they printed them afterwards. Okay. Somehow they had picked up the license to the vampire diaries and we're going to do these digital vampire diary comics, but an anthology series, not, not, you know, not a straight forward story. Okay. And I was just kind of poking around because I, I had a better relationship with those guys on the West coast. And I was talking to, I don't know, the vice president out there or somebody, an editor or somebody. And they were like, are you a fan of vampire diaries? <laughs> and of course I was like, Oh yeah, we, oh, the vampire diaries, you know? And uh, they were like, okay, well we're doing this and maybe you could pitch some ideas. So literally like my wife and I sat down on Friday and like shotgunned the first three seasons of the vampire diaries, nice. which by the way, we completely fell in love with. I mm-hmm. mean, it was not, it, what happened was I, I like, I was like, Oh, the vampire diaries. Cause in my head, I'm like CW teenage romance, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking twilight. Right. And I happened to like the first episode I happened to tune into was like, I don't know, season two or three. There's this scene where they're, they're in this dilapidated house on the edge of town or something. And it's this mm-hmm. complete, like over the top bloodbath. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, I, think it's, I don't know, you're a fan of the show or did oh, you watch the show? Oh yeah. Yeah. And no, I've, I've seen it probably more than once too. <laughs> Been to the convention. <laughs> Do you remember the scene where they've got the guy like pinned to a wall and they're throwing darts at him in a bar? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, the dartboard. I think that was like one of the first scenes I saw, and I'm like, "Whoa!" I'm like, "This is awesome!" And oh yeah, that and, was uh, like, yeah. Damon and Stefan, I think were right. yeah. Right. And then and then you watch it, and you know, my wife's there, and of course you've got 
you know, Damon is this, these are beautiful guys and beautiful mm-hmm. women who also have a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I just, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed the show and how many characters they had introduced that you could, you know, in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a short story, I did, you, you know, so, so yeah, immediately I jumped onto that and I think I did, I think I might've done a couple extended stories and then a couple shorter stories. I might've done maybe three. I don't know. They, then, then they, so they did them digitally. Then they released them as single issues, and then okay. they collect they collected them all into a really fat trade paperback that had, I think, all the stories in it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure all the stories got printed in single issues, but I, like I, I know I did have like the second issue had a story of mine, and then but but no, and, and actually I was I was really happy with a couple of those stories in, in terms of how I thought I was able to work within the tone yeah. of the show and the mythology of the show. Like I did, a, I did a story where. Stefan was like he was set in the nineties in Seattle. And okay. uh, like, that's one of the fun things about that show is they've got this, they're like eternal 20 year olds or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. you can put it in any setting and time period. And so like Stefan was like hanging out with a bunch of grunge slackers in the nineties <laughs> in Seattle and, and Damon slaughtered, you know, the girl <laughs> that he's hanging out with or whatever. Of course. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> I, I didn't, I, it's weird because I didn't get much feedback from comic fans, but Vampire Diaries fans oh, I bet. loved it. Yeah, they just loved seeing it. So it was hard for me to tell, am I succeeding? Because are they just so excited to see these stories? But but that like that story specifically, I remember writing and being like, this could be an episode. Somebody needs to, you know. Yeah, let's make it. this. Yeah. Well, no, and I, I think, you know, Vampire Diaries fans are very adamant, like, you know, an avid and, and very vocal. So I think, you know, if they liked it, then, I mean, they'd be yeah. the first ones to say, oh, this isn't right or something. So right. Yeah, no, what, some convention I was at with uh, Colleen Doran, who, who did, wrote and drew some as well. We did, an inter- we sat down for an interview with the Vampire Diaries fan site, which, oh, cool. which had a lot of, I mean, it was had a lot of fans attached to it or whatever. And the, 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 the girl who, I say girl, she was young. I mean, I'm not, she, she was such an enthusiastic fan of the, and also in comics, fans can be so bitchy and jaded and stuff. It was kind of fun to sit down with somebody who was just so thrilled that her, you know, her passion had been translated into another medium. And it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, and I really we, we had fun watching the show too. So oh, awesome! Yeah, I'm actually I'm on the hunt for them. I they're hard to find. I don't know if the they're show, the, the books, the, the graphic, the ones you did. Yeah, I've been I looking for. What I yeah, I have no idea what I would have thought they would have. My guess is they probably did a books. They probably didn't focus on comic shops, so they probably did a run mm-hmm. specifically with bookstores in mind, and then yeah, keep them in print. So I know. yeah checking eBay. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. If I had one, I'd send it to you. I had one giant copy that I sold at a convention. Oh, but, cool. Oh, you probably yeah. made someone very happy. <laughs> um, if you find it, let me know if you like this story. If you don't oh, like yeah. it. No, <laughs> no, actually, because I saw it, it was, it was um, being displayed on some website that I found. So you could actually see a couple of the pages. Right, right. And so immediately it was some little shot of you know of David and I thought all oh, the dialogue that really sounds just like something he would say so I I've always thought my sometimes I think I would hide miss I would hide my shortcomings in plotting with dialogue and characters yeah. <laughs> so I think as I've gotten older uh, like right now I think I, I've this I, I don't even like talking about this kind of stuff because nobody cares and it sounds pretentious but I honestly feel like I've kind of taken a couple steps forward as a writer recently mm-hmm. and part of that is having enough confidence in taking less space to tell more story and, and trust that I can communicate 
through the character and dialogue what I want to do. But mm-hmm. I, so I've always felt like that was a strength. So they're they're so well written on the show, and, and the actors are so. I mean, they're just yeah. There's, there's no mistake. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah, just the rhythm and, and the, so it was really easy to kind of tune into that um, for all the characters, um, even the supporting characters. So I'm yeah. glad to hear you say that because um, yeah. that was that was what was kind of fun was was because uh, with comic book characters there'll be a shift tonally writers treat them different, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. Batman may sound ways, but when you've got the same actors in the same general um, writing room, putting something together, it's so consistent that it, it's a lot of fun trying to find the right little phrase and, you know, the little dig that Damon would get Stefan and Stefan yeah. <laughs> humorless response to everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Usually yeah. involving his hair. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I can't, I don't know. I mean, I, look, He's a, an attractive guy, but I can't imagine anybody watching, like any woman or man who was attracted <laughs> to the characters watching that show and thinking, boy, Stefan's the one I'd like to hang out here. <laughs> well, hang you know, what's, what's interesting is I, I went to a, like a Vampire Diaries con and this was a long time ago. The show was still on the air. And mm. I met, so I met both him and the guy that plays Damon in person. Yeah. And, the, and the one that plays Stefan, he, he's literally like that in real life. I really? Mean, yeah, so he's just he was nice. I mean, or, yeah, I mean, just kind of quiet and reserved and not, right. you know, overly bubbly or anything, you know. So, right. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was just nervous yeah. or I don't know, but I, I thought it was funny. I was like, oh, you're really taking your character seriously. <laughs> That's good casting, I guess. It's, yeah, I'm always surprised with I, I did. So, I, I pitched something once that I hadn't even written and it ended up being optioned by Warner Brothers and they attached Matthew Fox to it. Oh, cool. Back when Lost was on the air. And I literally hadn't written this thing. I mean, it was just a pitch that happened to clue. So I had to write it after oh. it was optioned. And, but anyway, we they flew Matthew Fox out to Com- San Diego Comic-Con that year and flew me out to sign posters. Oh, wow. Um, this is during the heyday of Lost. And mm-hmm. of course, we, I hadn't written it and there was no art or anything. So we had to like make up a poster and everything. But, but you, I, when I got to the booth, Matthew Fox was there. And it was one of those things where I was like... I, I I thought you people were supposed to be less attractive and short. And, you know, I mean, I was like, this is ridiculous. Where do these humans come from? You know, it's right. like he's charming and super cool and, yeah. and good looking. And uh, they're made in a lab. Know, yeah. We probably signed 800 posters before anybody noticed I was sitting next to him. You know? <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> especially during that era, because yeah. that was such a huge show at the time. Oh, and that was it. We had like a line around the convention and people didn't even ask what we were signing half the time. But he <laughs> he started, he was really cool, but he was like, oh, this writer has created this great story. And of course, I literally had nothing but an outline at that point. Um, but, uh, oh, that's funny. Know. He was a good sport then. Yeah, no, he was great. He was so into it at the time. It's too bad it never really happened. But uh, yeah, he was super cool about it. I'm actually... I'll say real quickly, you mentioned vampires. I'm actually working on something now that's vampire themed. So okay. it's, we don't even have a publisher for it, but an artist named Matt Chater and I are doing a book that uh, we've been kind of slowly building that we envision it being like a long range multi-issue. Oh, wow. Um, it's that's... a whole world we've created that I'm super enthused about. I think it's, we don't have a publisher. We haven't even pitched it to anybody, oh, but wow. I have complete faith that it's it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, vampires are, you know, as they say in the publishing world right now, which I don't think they ever really went away, but they're saying they're making a comeback because after the the twilight stuff that happened right. and the people got really burnt out and didn't want right. to touch anything with vampires. But I think now that they are, you know, they're coming back. I write about vampires and other things too. And I know Dacre Stoker, Bram Stoker's great, great nephew. He's Took, taking over the state and doing a bunch of Dracula stuff. And Dracula stuff? Ooh, yeah, boy, that's, that's bold. 
Yeah. So yeah, I think it's cool. If you're working on something with vampires, I think it'll be well received right now, especially or even in the future. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I actually didn't, didn't, I did, I do, I do know they kind of burned out on the, after the, especially the way, you know, people, if they hated Twilight, didn't want to have anything to do with them. But and that was why, that was my perception of the Vampire Diaries because I, Twilight was omnipresent and I was like, it's just going to be Twilight with, right. <laughs> it's really not. So yeah, we're, yeah, hopefully we're, we're kind of like, we've kind of ramped up working on putting it together in the past couple of weeks. That's why it's kind of on my mind. But yeah, it's, it's great. We've built a really cool world and it's kind of, it's kind of nice to not know where we're doing it or what we're doing mm-hmm. with it. But anyway, it's just to work on it. Yeah. Something and, to keep an eye out. Oh, good. Yeah. Cause I, w- I was going to actually ask you about that. What were your future, future projects that you're working on? So that answers that. That's awesome. Yeah, there's that. And then I've actually got, got a few things that, like I said, I, when I stepped back about a year ago and put together several different ideas and concepts, uh, the, miles to go was the f- first one that I pitched and the first one to get picked up. So it's kind of, it, it's been gratifying I haven't really paid attention to sales, but it's been mm-hmm. really gratifying to see so many people really enthusiastic about it. Like before the second, like when the second issue got sent to comic shops before it even dropped, I had a, a retailer reach out to me on Facebook and tell me that, you know, oh man, the second issue was even better than the first. We reordered oh, wow. it, you know, really trying to keep the numbers up or pushing it because reviews are what they are. But when people are enthusiastic mm-hmm. and the stuff they, they respond to is the stuff you hope people respond to, yeah. you know, it's, I'm sure you've been there where you see a good review and realize they didn't understand, you know I mean? It's yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. That you know what I mean? a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'll quote your review, but I'm not, you know, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> at this point, but um, right. with this one, it's been, uh, it's been really, it's, it's kind of reju. It's given me kind of new juice. So, but so yeah, I have, I've, I, I'm a Twitter, you know, people want to, people mm-hmm. just follow me on Twitter. I'm always, you know, I'll, I'll mention or drop whatever. I, in fact, today I retweeted, Mac Chater did some, he posted like sketches that he's doing for this thing we're building. He didn't oh, nice. allude to what it was or anything, but I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, what the heck? You know, I was like, Hey, this, we're doing this, you know, and, uh, so, <laughs> put it out there. Yeah. What's your, yeah, I'm like, oh, what's, yeah. <laughs> what's your yeah, twi- like, Twitter handle? So be Claymore. Oh, okay. Easy enough to, for people yeah. to find you yeah. on there and stuff. And then I wanted to ask you to just briefly, I noticed I went on to your, your uh, WordPress site you list that you offer pitch services to people. And is that something you still do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't for a while because I've been, I've been Busy. working with a couple of stuff, but, but, but if people, yeah. And yeah, the, the WordPress site, I've, I've been kind of trying to go back to and update a little bit, but it's literally, again, if you just Google B Claymore WordPress, it's, mm-hmm. it used to be bclaymore.com, but I let it expire, but there is a link there to the pitch service. And if you're, if you're trying to get a comic book pitched and you have most of the elements in place right? and you do want that guidance, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. I, I may, if I can, I don't, I don't really charge a lot. It may seem like a lot. It's not a lot, but I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's time. I end up investing a lot more time in it than it's a good value. If I'll do it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. It, it may, you may have to be patient, you know, as I uh, work through it with you. But yeah, the first thing I did was with somebody who another editor, uh, an editor had handed over to me that he had been working with him. And, uh, you know, I, they were receptive and it was a really good idea with a good team. And I think, you know, and we kind of shaped it up into something that was really good. But oh, cool. having a lot of experience pitching my own concepts and having them mm-hmm. optioned or whatever and having worked for Image, where, which is the main company people want to go to with their own stuff, I... And because I've also for a long time helped friends and peers mm-hmm. kind of find the, the, it's very easy when you're doing your own thing to lose sight of what is going to sell it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You need those people to bounce it off of. Right. Like I've got somebody I've been dealing with. This is a young, she's a young writer who, when I met her, didn't want to be a writer. And, you know, but I knew she kind of, that was who she was going to be. And she, mm-hmm. like, she very much, like, she wants me to, she'll want me to read uh, six scripts of this thing she's trying to pitch. And I'm like, it's different. Pitching is different from editing. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need to, it's like, it doesn't even matter what the right, that's not what's going to get your book picked up. What you got to do is get your book picked up. And then, you know, you got to go step by step. And so. Yeah, absolutely. The concept I, has to be there first and the editors, they provide you, you yeah. know, if you do get picked up. Yeah. And, and who knows if it's, you don't know what form it's, you're going to have to bend a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, so, so yeah, my goal with that is to help people find the hook okay. and sell it and the format, you know, I've got a very specific kind of format I use, which is what similar to what most people use, which is based on some journalism principles and mm-hmm. you know, like cut away the fat, you know, don't, yeah, you know, don't, yeah, don't, you know, I mean, you've, you've pitched, yeah, we, we have a, we have, we call them blurbs, you know, where we do blurb writing or, you know, when you query an agent and they mm-hmm. want to, they want to see the blurb. So yeah, right. you have to get to the point, you know, identify the stakes right away and right. have a hook. Like you said, hook is super important. And yeah, that's, that's how you're going to get noticed and, and get someone asking to read more pages essentially. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 well, the, the, uh, the format I use is, is based on, so in journalism, you've got the pyramid, the inverted pyramid, which is mm-hmm. where the meat is right up front. And then it, the, like a newspaper article will tell you all the pertinent information up front. So if you only read the first paragraph of an article, you've got the basics of the story. But if you're more interested, you'll keep reading and reading and reading and the, the information that goes down. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's not a, the most important stuff is never at the bottom. So with a pitch, you got to do, you know, you got to provide all that meat briefly up front. And then if they are intrigued, they'll keep reading and get more into the details. So, you know, I might have character characters fleshed out or future story arcs at the very bottom of it, yeah. which, yeah, which they'll only read if they're already invested in what I wrote up top. So that's kind of the key to it is, nice. you know, because people will, people will try to pitch their story and tell their story, you know, like that's the pitch, right? like, <laughs> There's no hook. It's like, well, I got to read the whole, <laughs> you got to tell me the whole yeah. story for me to get what it's about. I just, no, it's the elevator pitch. Tell me in 30 seconds what it's about. And if I like it, I'll get deeper. Exactly. Yeah. There's the pitch. Then then there's yeah. the synopsis, two different things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, I would still be willing to talk to people about, about that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and so, and, and what advice would you give for, for anyone who's listening, you know, to this episode when it airs, that is you know, aspiring to be in the comic book industry, but doesn't know kind of where to start or, you know, maybe they don't have any connections or, you know, friends or anything like that that are in the industry. What would be like the first, you know, step that they should take? If you, well, I mean, there's, I make a comic really. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm presupposing the, presupposing that you actually have the capability to, you know, that you understand what you're trying to do and you can tell a story or what have you. If you think you've got there's two things. If you think you've got an idea that you, people who want to break into the industry and write Superman, Batman, X-Men, I don't have advice for, except <laughs> don't do that, except start with your own ideas. And once, once you've gotten your own stuff out there and established that you have a voice, those people will either open the door for you or come looking for you. That's mm-hmm. how it always works. You know, people, the only time people just jump right into writing those books for, for the rates and whatever, which it, some people aspire to that. It's fine. The only, the only people that get right into it are people that are like in another medium that are handpicked by publishers to, you know, give mm-hmm. it a job. So it's very rare that you're going to just walk right in the door. But if your goal is to tell the stories you want to tell, then do f- look at, 
look at pitches and, 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 you know, there's stuff you can find online that kind of tell how to, how to put things together and then research all the publishers that are out there. And almost every publisher makes it easy to figure out if they are open to unsolicited submissions. Mm -hmm. Generally, you're going to have to create some comics though. So like, if you're a writer, find an artist that buys into the idea, like I was talking about earlier and, and, and put together the five pages, you know, or whatever, just to mm -hmm. you know, show that you can tell the story and then follow the guidelines. Image Comics has a submission guidelines that I would recommend no matter who you're pitching to. Okay. Nothing is concrete because if they like what you're doing, they're not going to turn you down because you didn't follow their pitch format exactly. But, you know, it's basically like do five pages, um, okay. maybe do a cover, a logo or what have you. But anyway, the point is find a collaborator that if, if you're a writer, do not just work with whoever's willing to work with you if they're not doing justice to your idea, right? So don't, yeah. you know, because there are a lot of bad artists who just want to get their foot in the door and there's way more bad writers, trust me. But, you know, and that's going to, if you can't find anybody to collaborate with you and you've really gone to conventions and talked to artists or talked to people or been online, then maybe the the problem is, is you, you know, your yeah. idea, you know, I mean, people get really bitter. It's a hard industry to break into. Oh, I bet. But, yeah. But especially with crowdfunding and stuff, you can always do something. I mean, you can always self-publish or, you know, mm -hmm. that's what it takes. Do that and put it in people's hands and, and create, you know, relationships. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not wide open to talk to everybody who wants to make comics, but if somebody sure. approaches me at a convention or somewhere and, you know, if they run an idea, I mean, I was in Wichita a couple years ago and a, and a college professor ran this idea by me <laughs> and it was a great idea. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of writers will tell you not to do that, you know, because, oh, it puts me in trouble. I'm going to, you know, um, right. I, I'm not going to steal your idea, but I mean, if you don't want to run it by me, don't. <laughs> but, um, but but it's it's hard to give somebody advice if you don't know that they have a hook or, you know, yeah. the ability to figure that that stuff out. So, yeah, um, but I have I've very often over the years, it's kind of one of the reasons I decided to kind of offer to help people with pitches is that there are a lot of guys and women, mainly guys in the industry who I knew when they were just trying to break in mm -hmm. and they were eager and reached out and asked questions because I had been at image and had this reputation of somebody to create our own stuff. And I didn't always follow my own advice, but I, mm -hmm. I could tell them what path I thought they should take. And it's really gratifying to see these guys at the top of the industry. Yeah. I bet. Um, yeah. Doing, you know, like they fly right by me, but, but, it's nice because I'm like, oh, I was right. I didn't do it the way they did it, but you know, right. they, they did take that path. <laughs> they so, followed your um, advice. Yeah. <laughs> right. The point I'm trying to make is that there's always room in the industry for new voices and and new perspectives and diversity and, and, you know, so, and most of us want to see that. So we're not, it's not a closed off, you know, it's not a closed room that nobody's going to let you into. Mm -hmm. You can't get in no matter how hard you try, then Maybe. Maybe it's just not for you. Yeah. Good yeah. <laughs> you know, Lord. How many bad fantasy writers are there? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough, you know, to break in. Yeah. To, to publishing as well. I mean, you get lots of rejections and you got to have a thick skin. And, but I think, you know, the main thing too, is you have to know your craft and you have to keep practicing. I mean, you can't be a writer if you're not writing, you know, right, right. and, re and reading too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and don't do not just, again, it's a cliche, but you still see people who the sum total of their ideas are based on other comics they've read or whatever. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's never been a day where my primary inspiration were, were comic books and the comics I create, even though I've read, I've read enough of them to understand them and internalize the rhythms and what have you. But mm -hmm. for me, it's always more about film or even music or 
Yeah. Or I don't know, books I've read. I, I, I guess because I, for me, it's about taking those elements and figuring out how to make them work in this medium. So if I was just trying to retread stuff I'd read in comics, you know, mm-hmm. people have already been there. So anyway, but, but yeah, the, the, the broader your the broader you, the broader range of things you expose yourself to the more interesting, you know, the, the, the bigger, what am I trying to say? The, the more you have to draw from when you right. more ideas. Yeah. The idea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why, that's why in comics, it's funny. Like Hawaiian Dick is nothing revolutionary, but when it came out in other mediums, it would have mm-hmm. been, oh, okay. But in comics, right. there was a whole lot of, wow, that's really different. I mean, yeah. it's a private eye story with supernatural elements. You could see that in other mediums, but, but, but pulling that stuff into the comic industry, mm-hmm. a lot of people, even years down the road are like, man, that was really one of the books that made me realize I can do whatever I want to do. You know, I can take, you know, oh, I don't yeah. have to, you know, retread stuff. So yeah, no, the comic book industry has definitely, you know, changed. You know, I'm 41 and I remember, you know, when I was a kid, it was like Archie comics and superheroes and stuff. And now there's just right. this whole huge pool to choose from. Like you were saying, there's something for everyone, whether you're a boy or a girl or no matter how old you are, there's just stuff there that you can, that will interest you. Right. Yeah. That's how the industry was out of the gate until it, it, it narrowed, you know, until it, it kind of started to collapse, but it's a lot like music. People complain about music. You know, there's no rock and roll. There's no folk. <laughs> there's no pro it's all out there. It's just in smaller. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's a uh, partition, you know what I mean? But, but, mm-hmm. but there are small niches. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the same cultural impact, but it, it, it can something like the walking dead, obviously oh, yeah. can yeah. emerge, but you don't, you can succeed in comics without having, a hundred thousand people reading your comic, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, you can, you can appeal to five to 10,000 people and, and be fine. You know, if, if you're, if you're in the right publishing model and everything. So yeah. Yeah. My thinking is, my thinking is like, if I like this, then there's gotta be enough people. If I can just find them, there's enough people that are going to respond to whatever I'm doing. Um, oh yeah. Just getting it out there. Sorry. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Finding your tribe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I could talk to you all night. This has been really fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm rambling. But... No, no. I could just pick your brain all night. It's been, it's been great, but I know you probably got to go eat dinner or something. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. So yeah, I just want to let everybody know that yeah, issues one and two of miles to go are available now. You can get them on Amazon, your local comic book shop. If it's, if it's open and online at is it cosmicology as well. Comicology, yeah. Comics. Comics, comicsology. comicsology. Thank you. Yeah. And also check him out on Twitter. This is B Claymore. Thanks for mm-hmm. uh, so much for coming on the show. I've had a lot. I've learned a lot. It's been fun chatting with you about writing. I appreciate I appreciate the invitation. It's been, it, yeah, it's been great. I, it's, it's nice to bounce ideas back and forth. So, so cool. Awesome. Well, come back anytime too. Because sure. I want I want to hear about the, the vampire stuff when you get that going. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Like I said, I'll, I'll put it on Twitter or whatever, but uh, yeah, if you do track down those vampire diaries books, uh, let me know, let me know how I do. I'll be, I'll be on the hunt for them. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Melissa. All righty. Have a good night. Uh, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're back. Thank you so much, Melissa, for doing that for me. I was supposed to do this interview. I was super excited to talk with Charles. And then when it came time to do it, I 
had to have Melissa step in because of family stuff. And I am really happy that she was able to step in and do that. And Charles, thank you so much for coming on. I'm a big fan of your work. I loved your stuff on Daredevil and your stuff on Wolverine. It was really amazing. And I picked up the Oracle Year preview from him at uh, Emerson Comic Con a couple years ago. Read through that. I was hooked instantly. Picked up the book when it came out. Read through it. It was awesome. So I'm looking forward to the, what he has coming out. And uh, once again, thanks for coming on. That was amazing. And uh, yeah, that's the show, man. If you like that, because I know you did. You had to have, because you're still listening. You're hearing me talk now. You heard Kinnick in the opening. And let's talk to Charles. Now you're hearing me talk. It's like a trifecta here of Spoiler Country people. But if you like that, head over to Spoilerverse.com. Check out all of our back issues of our show and other shows out there. We have so many other shows on our network that are doing awesome stuff, like Funny Book Forensics and and Bridging the Geek Times. There's so much cool stuff. You should go check all that out. Now, when you go to that site, I want you to go to the store. I want you to buy something, because it's the holidays. You you may come after the holidays, may come before the holidays. I don't know, but... That money you spend, some of that goes into our pocket. And what that means is that means it goes into the pocket of the people we have to pay to keep our stuff running. So you help support the show by going getting yourself a cool t-shirt or something looking fly as hell. And also, you should go to scpod.us slash discord and go to our public discord server. Join in, have some chats. We have a lot of fun there. A lot of talking, daily talking there. It's really fun. So if you use Discord and you love Discord and you love us and the whole Spoilerverse network or just our show, head over to scpod.us slash discord. All right, guys. That's it for me today. That's it for Split Country. Again, thank you, Melissa, for covering this for me. Thank you, Charles, for coming on. And uh, one last thing to do, and that is, in Oceans of Podcast, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. 